Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. Okay, what's up, Alamancers? This is Stephen, your host from Phantology, along with my lifelong friends, Ben and Josh, here to talk about Mistborn, the final empire. And after 180 episodes, or however many this is, by the time this comes out, we are uh, finally doing some dedicated Mistborn content, which seems strange, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, especially because I think for a lot of us, for at least for myself, I'll speak for myself, but Mistborn is like a pretty foundational thing that got me into fantasy. I mean, I had read Wheel of Time, like half of Wheel of Time and Kingkiller, but Mistborn is like what really made me like want to get into fantasy, if that makes sense. So I'm, yeah, I'm surprised we haven't talked about it more. I mean, we always reference it and we always reference Anderson, but I'm happy. We were, to. we were just biding our time, right, Ben? Yeah, that's right. And similar for me, I mean, I think Mistborn might have, I know I read the first Wheel of Time book before Mistborn. I don't think I read King, King Killer before Mistborn. So this was definitely one of my first, first trips into fantasy. Really? Well, mm, I, I don't know about that because, okay, let me kind of think you, back to our, I, our, the timeline here. So, so we were in college together. I, this is going to be a age reveal here. We were in college together in 2010 when yes. the when uh, Wise Man's Fear came out. That was in early 2011, right? I think when Wise Man's Fear came out. I remember going to get that book with you guys, but I don't think I read Mistborn until later in 2011. Had you already read it at that point? See, I never read name of the wind until like 2013 so you you were just down for a midnight walmart right i was just i mean i'm always down for a midnight walmart yeah <laughs> so, so we went to walmart at midnight to try to find the wise man's fear turns out i don't think they had it we had to like wait till the yeah. next day to get it it was a total fail but you unless you had a nook i probably yeah. like yeah. unless you had a nook which obviously was going to beat out the kindle in 2010 <laughs> I mean, you, it was just dumb not to buy all of your books on the Nook platform. Yeah. Ben and Josh were early adopters of the Nook, unfortunately. And uh, how is that aged for you? About as well as the Zune. I don't even uh, know what that, what, what is the, that? I don't even the know. I, the iPod competitor that Microsoft put out in like 2006 oh. or whatever. Yeah. Didn't even know that existed. Yeah. I did not have one of those. Maybe somewhere out there, someone is still using a Nook and, uh, and is a nook to read their ebooks and is to listen to their mp3 files yeah bless your soul that poor person all right so mistborn so mistborn so so we all read it years ago and uh now we're rereading it and really i think one of the the strong motivating factors here is the lost metal that's coming out towards the end of the year i think in november and that's mistborn number seven the end of the second era of mistborn books and this is Mistborn number one, The Final Empire. And uh, I think we're planning on going through the entirety of like the Mistborn catalog through the rest of the year. That, yeah, that, that's a plan. I think we can kind of like guarantee like that's going to be a big focus 
for us. So, so to kind of get started, you know, talking about this one, maybe we'll say like from, you know, reflecting on, cause I think we've all kind of had a time gap from the time we first read it. And then we read a bunch of other fantasy stuff and now we're rereading it. Like what, what stood out to you guys? What'd you think? So a few things, like, I think I reference this every time I talk about Mistborn. I've yet to read a book that does as good of a job as a standalone book and as an introduction to the rest of the trilogy, right? Like that's one of the reasons why recommending Mistborn is so easy for me is because I'm like, hey, read this book. If you don't like it, you don't have to continue on. You'll get like a self-contained story. And if you did love it, then there's a whole lot more where that where that came from. Right. And I really can't think of another book that does it that well. When our, we interviewed Richard Swan um, and he just wrote a book and it does a similar thing. That's called the justice of, King, justice of Kings. Mm-hmm. And it is also a self-contained story that also hints at like the fact that there's like all this stuff underneath the surface. But I would say those two books are the, really the only two kind of start of trilogies or start of series that that can do that super well. Hmm. Trying to, th- I'm trying to uh, come up with a rebuttal just for sake of argument. And I don't, I don't know if I have one. Yeah. Like all, like all of Joel Abercrombie's, his first books in both of his series are good, but they definitely set up the rest of the series and aren't as self-contained uh-huh. as like the first Mistborn book is Mark Lawrence kind of the same thing. I mean, I haven't read all of his trilogies, but the broken empire and the, the red sister or the, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of that series. They were both Bo- good, but uh, Book of the Ancestor. Book of the Ancestor, yeah. They were both both good starts, like really good starts. But they didn't. I think that they weren't as self-contained as your the first Mistborn. You might um, make an argument that like series that are more, um, like like for example, Dresden is more like I don't know, kind of like a TV show. It's more yeah, serial. It's serial, it's but the, serial again, that's not yeah. that's not that's maybe a better self-contained book, but it's not doing as much to set up the rest of the series either. Sure. Yeah, like it's not introducing true. all that many plot lines that are going to really carry through the rest of the series. Yeah. Like Mistborn does. I get to see that. I mean, the first Dresden book does do a lot of heavy lifting and like there are elements that are still seen, you know, but I, I do agree that it doesn't have to, it doesn't carry as much weight on his shoulders than the first Mistborn book does. And it doesn't have nearly as satisfying of an end. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, Sanderson purposely didn't like load in everything for the trilogy. And uh, where are we setting spoiler levels at? We'll say, you know, so, plot up. so I'd say if you haven't full phantology recommend for Mistborn, if you haven't read it, go read it. And we're going to start spoilers. Do you want to do for the whole series? I think we should just do the the whole series, the whole, at least arrow one. Arrow do you want F- full arrow one? I, well, if we're going to talk about like the impacts of, the yeah. first book has on the i mean how many listeners do you think have read the first book but haven't read the second and third that yeah are really like it's, right it's been out for like what 15 years now i, I can't remember yeah. the publication I, I, so. I also agree with that we'll keep it to just mistborn we won't spoil era two and we won't spoil um crossovers like that happen in other parts of the cosmos other other cosmic stuff sure yeah but okay. we'll we'll talk yeah about that. that i mean that's a really important thing like we're not going to spoil the big thing that you yeah. know if you know you if, know, if you've read gonna... if you've read other cosmere you know what we're talking about we won't spoil yeah that. yeah okay <laughs> we're not gonna go into that okay okay so yeah through the first i think sanderson's talked about this he said through the first book he focused on alamancy second book focused on furukami furukami 
I can never say that. And then the third book was um, Hemalurgy. And so I think he does a good job of, you know, slowly building, right? And and then into era two, he he kind of like twists it around with different combinations and stuff. So I think that's a smart way to do it where he's able to get this self-contained story where there's this entirely new thing and it makes a lot of sense. But then in, you know, can keep the momentum of the trilogy going by then like continuing to introduce more and more and making it more magical, keeping, you know, fresh elements into the plot, not letting it, not letting it get too stale. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really good way to do a trilogy. And that's, and Sanderson does a lot of world building through magic and, and explores a lot of the world through magic. But I, I think that what Mistborn excels at, and especially Mistborn era one is really um, helping you understand how magic connects to the story and how, and like I said, the world building through magic with still having it seem pretty natural. Like Sanderson excels and has only gotten better at really having you picture what the magic is doing, at least in my mind. Like, and, and I know it's uh, like some of it, like pushing and pulling on metals, like that's pretty straightforward. But even like with uh, with emotional elementsy, like he does a good job on kind of defining what that can and can't do. And like kind of in Star Wars, the opposite of the spectrum, which he specifically said he was trying to make it a little bit harder mag- magic than like Star Wars. Like it's literally just a hand wave. And then like you can mm. control somebody's mind. Whereas like emotional elementsy is like, let me pull on their, you know, anger and reduce their suspicion and like da 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 da. And kind of you really understand what the emotional elementsy is doing. Um, and so all of this just does really good world building. And also even he manages to really build Kelsier's character and Vin's character through teaching us about the magic and teaching us about like anyway, I'm I'm, I'm kind of rambling here. But mm-hmm. I really like how he incorporates magic into world building and character development is my overall thesis for that. Right. On the flip side, I feel like it through this book, it can be a little boring or just it gets a little stale when it's like, OK, like Vin is going to go with the next crew member and like learn, you know, the next magic thing and like level up a little bit more. And like this is just kind of this continual thing throughout the book. And like, yes, it introduces you to more uh, like side characters, but at the same time, does it become a little formulaic in the way that it's structured? Yeah, I agree with that. It almost feels like this would be better done in like an Ocean's Eleven montage, right? Where they're like introducing you to all the characters and like, and which again, Mistborn, like Sanderson always says, it's like he loves heists. And so he was like combining, like a heist was a major, at least for the first book, like a major inspiration. So it was like, we're going to go through and meet all of the team's special, like, you know, assets and and they're going to mm-hmm. teach Finn how to do it. So I do, I like, I don't know. It's tough because I do think that it's necessary to have watched Finn grow, but I do also see your point about it being formulaic, watching that happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think you're wrong, but I think that that's something you're going to notice a lot more on your second read through because you already know what heights Finn does reach by the ending of the first book. But mm-hmm. during most of the first book, you you have hints that she's strong, but it's not. But you need, in my opinion, those moments where she's learning help demonstrate like her her power. You know, when she, later on in the book, the fact like oh, you barely saw her like learn how to control uh, this or that, and then by the end of the book, she's like, you know, just a total like BA flying through there, slaying people. <laughs>
Yeah. And I do think also, like, I appreciate the fact that it wasn't just Kelsier that teaches her everything because that mm-hmm. would have been even more annoying, you know, been like Kelsier goes out on another rooftop and teaches her how to riot people, you know, like that would have been. Well, and it hints that Kelsier isn't even that great at emotional elementary. Like he's really Mm -hmm. good at pushing and pulling. Like that's what he, that's what makes him dangerous. And that's what makes him like, you know, that's where he's at. Whereas with the other metals, like he kind of just disregards gold, you know, like he just says like, it's worthless. Whereas like, I don't think Vin would ever just look at a metal and say, oh, that's worthless. Right. Like even if the worth isn't immediately apparent. Yeah. Kelsier was much more goal oriented. Like he was using uh, Alamancy as a means to an end. Whereas like Vin, I feel like wanted to understand Alamancy because that was like a core aspect of her identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And towards the end, she's like, towards the end when she is locked up, I think with, with uh, Cezid and she realizes that the the metal table that she had in her mind, like wasn't complete, like in the midst of everything that's happening, she's like, wait a second, this doesn't match up right. Like there should be a different alloy here that we don't even know about. It's like, yeah, I guess it kind of like shows you how much she is interested in like the science behind it. But also is that really realistic or is that just like Sanderson needing to insert like, you know? Yeah, he's needing to like- Info dumping. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think it's unrealistic. I mean, if I was in that situation, I might- I don't know if like, if that came to mind, I, I would definitely dwell on it because it yeah. might be important. And like it, the secrets of Alamancy were important in actually and they are looking for like the, the 11th medal or, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. 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 I would say, so another thing that stuck out to me on my reread, and again, this is really only possible on a reread is just how well the twists were set up throughout and even some of the twists that are going to happen later on, like with her earring, which is a big thing towards the end, right? Um, that was, you know, that was just set up like just enough where it stood out a few times where it's like, you know, why are we mentioning the earring right now? But if you've read it, then you know that it's important. And so, you know, like, okay, that's not just like a throwaway line. It actually means something. Um, it mm-hmm. makes me, it makes me want to reread uh, Stormlight really carefully and like focus on every single thing that he says, like, okay, like this, you know, the secrets are buried in here somewhere. And it, it probably is possible to figure out because he, he plots these things out incessantly. But did you guys have a, a similar experience and, and how things were set up? Yeah. I, I mean, I, for me, it was, um, Oh, what's her brother's name talking to her the whole time. Rin. Rin. Uh, uh, Rin, 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 Rin. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like kind of how he's just like whispering to her and, you know, that obviously that is connected to the earring, but yeah, that was awesome. Um, and how that's not even like the Lord ruler. That's like, you know, the, the long game. So mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. cool. So, similar. I think it was really cool how you get the, you get the prophecy, the, the log book, right. And, you know, at the ending of the log book, how all of those prophecies are also referring to um, who, the hero of ages ends up being right. 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 I guess I'm just trying to keep it general enough to not ruin things for completely for people that are still listening to spider spoiler warning, but how that, so all those prophecies work for the twist at the end, but they also work for the twist at the ending of this book that like you needed to know that Farukami was important for how the Lord ruler was doing his powers, but Mm -hmm. they still work for the ending 
the for the big twist at the end of the whole series. Like it's pretty yeah. amazing to watch him tie both of those things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you also have like the Kelsier twist, right? Where like that's the big twist for the end of this book where Kelsier pretty much knew that he wasn't going to survive this. He knew mm-hmm. like he was setting up for his team, like kind of training them to be able to take over and run the city when he was gone mm-hmm. and um, leaving like these stashes all over the place of like weapons to give to the ska. Like that was super cool. Um, and even just the introduction of the Chandra and you're like, at the, at the beginning, I, I don't know if I thought this on my first read through, but you could just be like, why do they really need a Chandra to pretend to be this? Like, right. Uh, this, yeah. like this, you really know, hire like this, you know, like mythical being to pretend to be somebody when you're mm-hmm. all pretending to be somebody. Yeah. 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 Right. Like you think you could have just gotten another member of the crew to pretend to be, but they got a Chandra. So throughout the book, if you're paying attention, you have been like, the Chandra has got to be doing something else. And then, but if you're just like reading it, you're like, oh, okay, this is just a way that they're introducing conjures, I guess. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it, it it worked really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes authors will take the strategy of with their twists, the way that they embed them is like someone will someone will uh, say something kind of out there a little bit, and then they'll be like, oh, well, I can't tell you right now, or or you know, some something really obvious where you as the reader are like, oh, okay, that whatever he said there, like that is obviously important. And then you just like mark it in your head and then it becomes, you know, kind of obvious when it's revealed. There's like, Oh, okay. That's what that meant. Right. But at least in Mistborn, Sanderson really doesn't do that. Like everything really does play a role and it's like really nicely tied together. So I, like, if I'm going to say, I I, I think the twists throughout Mistborn throughout the first trilogy and in this book as well, like, I think that's the, the strongest element and he does this in his other books too so yeah his yeah his ability to just like embed these things and then they're important and it becomes like this inevitable thing that is also surprising and pays off like that that's really masterfully done i think if there's one thing sanderson does well i mean world building obviously but uh also the way that he does this is awesome yeah and the fact that like the world building ties into it like even like the ash mounts it's not just a cool setting it's like those ash mounts exist because mm-hmm the Lord ruler screwed up and put it to like too close to the sun or whatever. And then they had to like yeah. correct with the ash mounts, like there and the, the mystery is like, yeah, there's this cool, like amorphous blobs that are just kind of out there and the sky were kind of afraid of them. And then they turn out to be, you know, like there's just so many cool things that happen that, mm-hmm. uh, that are not even essential parts of the story for a long time, but are just really cool to imagine. And mm-hmm. And end up being super important. And says it in, in the religions, like it's cool to hear someone talk about all the lore of everything, but also like that's really important at the end with the with the yeah. hero of ages that Josh yeah, exactly. was referring to. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. And I love to like so just like the sappy parts of it. Like I I can't remember the last time I cried during a book. Well, I can. The last time I cried during the book was on my reread last year when uh kelsier left the note for vin with the with the flower in it and like said that you're the daughter that we never had like that just got me man i don't know did that get any like either of you guys the same way it was just like oof i don't know if they're actual tears but certainly emotions it was tender yeah i was i was also on a bike ride when i listened to that part so i was probably like hearty emotionally (laughs) emotionally fragile um but it was yeah it was just 
like very yeah very tender um and he just hit those emotional beats super well throughout it yeah i agree one thing that stood out to me and this is i don't know if this is changing subject too much but after reading it my first time people would talk about how it's kind of ya like young adult and i've never understood that but now i kind of understand it like on my second read through especially after having read so many other fantasy works i'm kind of like I can see why people think that Mistborn is more on like the young adult spectrum of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, something that we haven't even talked mm-hmm. about that like both my wife and my sister-in-law's love is like, is the romance between uh, Vin and um, Ellen. And like, again, we haven't even talked about it because I don't think you, any of us really <laughs> cared that much about it, but that does definitely play in the YA aspect of things, you know? Yeah, I mean, the romance isn't terrible. I, it, it's interesting through the first book. It doesn't really, it, it just kind of gets resolved going forward throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, I think like you know, maybe never in question. You know. Yeah. If he was to like throw in a love triangle or like really continue to play it out more, it, it might be more YA. Yeah, it was more the the tension in that relationship was more about different, about the powers and them deciding individually if they wanted to make that relationship work it wasn't really like mm-hmm. a love triangle situation yeah you had yeah. Like, you had like zane in there in the second book but that wasn't really like a love interest that was more just like a am i gonna pick that route in life <laughs> am know? i gonna give in to my psycho side yeah <laughs> and yeah yeah exactly i don't want to spoil too much for the second book but yeah yeah and i actually i i need to reread the second book i really don't remember exactly how that plays out so yeah, don't don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> but but again, that romance, it's just like I wanted to like it more because Ellen was for a long time like one of my favorite fantasy characters. I really like Ellen. And so I just wanted to like that relationship more. But it just is kind of just happens, you know. I, I never really felt like it was I never felt like there's a ton of chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. But again, maybe that's just because you're not the target audience for it. And I think that is where like we kind of tend to overlook the young adult aspect of it a little bit more than um what other readers might okay josh then why did you so so why do you think it's why is it just the romance aspect or is there other things so the romance aspect was a kind of big part about why it was why but also just vin as a character felt more like a ya character in some senses like she it was her introduction to the world in a lot of ways like uh you know she knew a really rough world right which um so i'm not trying to like discount Vin or anything but like Mm -hmm. a lot of ya books take the kind of stance of like introducing the main character to the rest of the world and learning how they fit into the world is a big theme in a lot of the young adult books i've read and that was a really big theme in in this book was taking taking Vin and is she going to fit into the high society? Is she going to fit into the crew? Is she going to fit into like, you know, just uh, be in a relationship with Alan? Like all these things are her finding out who she is. And okay. so, and and that just thematically, it seems like a YA book along with the fact that Sanderson doesn't really swear. Like the violence isn't too gratuitous. So combined with all being... A little, yeah, a bit dystopian, you know, the okay, okay. you're on the edge of a revolution type thing. So I don't know, like just 
I can see, I still, I still wouldn't put it as a YA book myself, but now I don't think I'm going to argue with people that say it's YA, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, I think there's enough good reasons why you would put it, why you would classify it as a YA book. Do you think Name of the Wind is YA? No. Why? Why then? It's similar because, coming of age stories. Yeah, it sounds like everything that you just described. I could also say was name of name of the wind. Yeah, I think, I think the simplicity with which Sanderson writes, and the accessibility with which he writes, also plays into that YA factor. Whereas yeah. you can't really say the same. I think that that Sanderson writes in a very um, simple way that you can accessible way that a lot of people can get their heads around whereas Rothfuss really doesn't Rothfuss Rothfuss's writing is a lot more steeped in metaphor and like similar simile and allegory and the the um there's time jumps and like uh mm, okay there's perspective shifts and just the character development yes it is a coming of age story but I think that there's enough of those other kind of storytelling techniques interspersed throughout King, King Killer that are absent yeah. from this porn that would make me way more hesitant to classify it as a young adult book. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. As you were saying that, I was thinking there's there's this one passage in Name of the Wind, no spoilers here, but he talks about like entering different doors in his mind in order to like close off different things that are happening. And just like this whole like long metaphor that he then comes back to like several times throughout different times throughout the book. And like, yeah, that that type of writing, you don't see that in Mistborn. You, Sanderson just doesn't really yeah. um, mess around with that type of thing. And by the way, just so we don't get hate comments, this isn't me saying that like YA is, is inferior or whatever to like uh, a, the rest of adult fantasy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just like classifying my experiences with sure. reading YA books. These are different things that I see that make it feel YA versus not feel YA. And I'm mm-hmm. sure there's plenty of YA books that have great uh, allegory and sim- simile and metaphors and stuff, but just that's yeah why I said that. Yeah. And a lot of people just get angry whenever we have a conversation about classifying because it really is kind of pointless. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess it, yeah, everyone's kind of got a different spectrum on all on these types of things. So yeah. But publishers have to classify them somewhere. So yeah, maybe not totally pointless. <laughs> so I think, again, one of the um, awesome parts of this was how it like created a world that Sanderson is still writing in and how he um, had magic systems that were like limber enough to tell a lot of different stories. I mean, did you predict that when you're reading the Mistborn book for the first time like do you see how these powers would like interplay with each other and like that's also a pretty cool twist you know you mean like all the way through to era two or yeah even like into era two like not not a lot of spoilers there but I yeah I mean that's what's crazy to me like everybody that finished up reading era one and then you're just like wow this is crazy like there's you know like so much more to like what could happen when you Mm. have these types of powers together you know this type of, I mean, no, I did not predict that in my first read through. I probably had no idea what I was even getting into back then with Epic <laughs> Fantasy. But this type of thing does make me think is when I read other uh, other series, other authors, uh, they, they come up with these whole different worlds and, and such. And sometimes it's just like for a shorter series or even just a one-off novel. And I think, man, like they went through all this effort to build this whole world and all this unique stuff. And they're just going to write one book like. That just doesn't yeah. make sense. Sanderson's very ec- economical with his uh, creation of worlds. <laughs> I think economical is uh, 
I don't know how you, I don't, I would never describe Sanderson as economical. <laughs> he just writes so many different things. Well, I mean, I mean he uses them well, but yeah, yeah, he, he optimizes yeah. the heck out of the stuff he produces. Look at, like, yeah. look at what Dragonstill is doing right now with their Kickstarter and everything. Like, I, yeah. I'm not going to say he's, he's milking it because he produces a lot of quality stuff, but he does a good job of taking what he has created in his head and getting it out there into like a bunch of different platforms and forms and including different variations of the same world in different books. Yeah, no, that's for sure. I, I do think though that like, like he wrote it in a way that I could spin off a lot of things pretty organically. Like you're not seeing him like kind of try and milk Mistborn in a way that feels milky. You know what I mean? Like we stop using the word milky. <laughs> sorry. He's not trying <laughs> to squeeze Mistborn. For, He's not trying to. Mistborn is not undulating um, <laughs> as much as in normal. I don't know. That was a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. There's no. Okay. Do so you get my point though? Like he's not, it doesn't like yeah. there's some series that you're like, okay, you can just stop right in this world right now. Like don't say anything. You're going to vent people. Josh is like, uh, we're no Rothfusses here with our use of simile. The... <laughs> not... yeah. We can't. Yeah. No, you, just, just, be, just no. Just no. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, especially going into Era 2, I, I like how he he doesn't have to retcon things. He just continues to build off of it. And then he's like, okay, yeah. now, you know, some things have changed. Therefore, what might, you know, happen down the line with different types of powers and forms? And I think we'll see the same thing with, uh, you know, Mistborn Era 3 and probably the same thing in the second half of uh, Stormlight Archive. So this is one thing I wanted to ask about. I don't want to like i know people might be trying to avoid spoilers for later on in the cosmere so i'll try and ask this in a roundabout way but do you think that like the way that sanderson has kind of primed his audience for those that are paying attention i think will make them accept changes that are going to happen in a way that might not have been able to happen if he didn't have such a like clue and fan base you know what i mean like if you pick up i'm assuming like even if you picked up era two after era one you're like a lot of people don't like those changes, right? Because um, they feel so like, okay, out of, sure. like they feel pretty disjointed. I feel like that's mm-hmm. only going to get worse if you don't like it. But like, because he's said for years and kind of made known what his plan is, like I feel like that um, will end up helping him. Hmm. You think people people wouldn't like like combinations of magics and things like that? I think more just like the massive technological changes that I think will, because mm. he is kind of navigating two different genres, right? Like he's they're going to steam- switch genres. He has a steampunk. Yeah. Like Mistborn was more of kind of classic medieval type mm-hmm. turn of the like pre-industrial revolution than steampunk. Next is going to be more sci-fi. Um, yeah. So this is kind of related to that. Ben, what you're saying with Sanderson, I feel like, Sanderson has his work and hearing people, okay, hear me out. Hearing people talk about Lord of the Rings. I've heard so many people refer to like the books and like the lore and the appendices as like sacred. Like, I don't think Sanderson views his own works as like sacred. Like I think if a change needs to be made kind of like he did with the ending of words of radiance, like he just made a pretty big change, you know? And mm-hmm. um, I'm, so I'm sure if something needed to, if he needs to go back and tweak something in the lore or whatever, like he would just do it and, and just pick, okay, this is what needs to work for the story moving forward. I'm, I'm sorry that like 
I didn't have it planned out 20 years ago when I wrote the first Mistborn book. Like, and I think he's been open enough with fans that they would be accepting of it. Like you're saying. I don't, I don't know if he would straight up change something. I mean, maybe he might like tweak the interpretation or so, so I, int- introduce a new way of thinking through things. I don't yeah, think he's going to. Well, so I was listening to, and I, I don't want to get this wrong because I was listening to 17th Chard talk about the words of Brandon that he did in this spoiler stream for the one of the secret, the first secret project that okay. he did. And so they were talking about like Aether and how his like, kind of interpretation because and this isn't published so it's not really a change to canon but mm-hmm. um he's kind of between like aether of the night and right the, and the first secret project he's kind of changed how those things how they interact and again aether of the night wasn't published so it's not like official cosmic canon but i think that his way of thinking about it and his like view of the magic has changed you know, since he's, since he's written that. So I think mm. we could see that in another 20 years, you know, of him writing stuff that he'll need to update something for all the work. That's just, yeah, I, I, I would be, I would be surprised to see him completely like retcon things. I think, I think he would just introduce changes as like, okay, I mean, these things like now they're working together and uh, here's how it works type thing. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be like, actually the, uh, what, what's the metal that happens you see the future um atm atm actually atm doesn't really have you see the future or see like it actually just you know gives people a better sense of probability like i don't think he's gonna do stuff like that like change fundamental things but i could see him being mm-hmm. like actually you know like the rate at which misborn burn metal or whatever is like chain uh-huh. or, i don't know just i could see him changing this is you- <laughs> a big tangent right but my whole point is is that like i don't think he sees his works is infallible and he's going to make, he's going to put the story first, you know, and, and write good stories instead of just like developing a mythology like Tolkien did, if that makes sense. Mm. I wonder if any authors see their works as infallible when they first published. I, I would kind of be surprised, honestly, like you'd have to be pretty arrogant. Like you'd have to like kind of think a lot of your but, work. But fans, but fans like yeah, their, as, as years passed, fans. see their work as infallible. Yeah. And and I definitely there are some authors that are much more like perfectionistic. Like Rothfuss is a lot, I guarantee you, he's gonna be like a lot less likely to change something about King Killer than like Sanderson would be about Mistborn. You know, he's much he's gonna be much more perfectionist about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I mean I think at this point we would have to assume that, yes. <laughs> you, you, we'd hope that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have man, we just have a few minutes remaining. Should we do our, uh, if you have any more thoughts, why don't you try to t- try to wrap them into the worst of the best segment? Yeah. Deal. Okay. 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 So uh, here we're going to talk about one element from the book that we uh, liked, but there was like one thing that was kind of weird about it that we didn't like as much. So the worst part of the best parts. The worst of the best. With so many exemplary moments in this book, it's almost unfair to nitpick. But that's the segment. It's the pimple on the princess. The stain on the satin. And the terror before the triumph. The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. 
someone has to point it out. And Ben is ready to go now. Yeah, so spook speak. So the old language spoken by spook. Uh-huh. Um, I just, A, I've never been able to figure it out. <laughs> like, I never know how to interpret it. It's like, is it pig Latin? Is it, what is it? Right. And maybe it's because like normally I listen to it on 2x speed. I'm just like not going to go back and like really mm-hmm. think about it. But I have read it. Anyway, it's just like one of those quirky things that I don't think added anything to the story and that annoys me every time I read it because I want to understand it and I can't give myself to. I understand like it'll hit differently for other people and other people will probably like it, but that's the worst of the best for me. Um, it's probably best because of how it ended up in era two, like uh, being like the high society language. Yeah. Not even high society, like the sacred, like kind of like how yeah. we talk about like Bible, like the thou, thy, you know, like uh-huh. kind of a higher um, speech, but yeah. anyway, worst of the best for me because i still don't understand it and it is annoying to me whenever it pops up but i also like love that it's in there hot take for me i know this might be unpopular but anytime nowadays anytime i read a book where there are magical words that are not like that are just made up by the author i just skip over them and and say insert magic word here like i don't even try to sound it out it's just like what am i getting out of this magic so like incantation well okay but like what about like yeah for like mistborn you know like you wouldn't take time to think about like alamancy well no that's a i mean like a magic spell or like anytime someone says something that's just like completely nonsensical like italicized yeah italicized yes anytime Um, you see italics you're like okay just yeah italics okay magic happens skip like why even I it, it seems like that takes a lot of effort to write that out. So why even do it if you're an author? Why not just say like she yeah. said the magic words? I don't I could get that, but like a little because I more, think a lot of people like, like it. <laughs> well, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, can you imagine Harry Potter without the spells? Yeah, but those spells are like two words max. Like there, there's none that are too long. That's fair. And, and it, they're all basically just Latin words with like yeah. Yeah, yeah, I they're... suppose that like the vast majority came in the first few books. Like you're not getting any more like yeah. How many spells, spells do you learn? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like one spell per book that somehow saves the day. And yeah, and some of this, but like like you say, they're Latin. So like Petrifysis. Oh gosh, yeah, that's why you don't okay, say spells. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know the the body bind spell. Petri- um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Listen to Emma Watson say it. Um, yeah, so you can actually see like okay, like total petrification, like that makes sense. Okay. Well, that was that your worst of the best? I feel like that wasn't even in the book. Really. <laughs> That's Steven's worst of the that, best. For no, no, that wasn't mine. I was. Oh, I was just, oh, that I was, was just a I tangent. Was, I was piggybacking off Ben, so I liked his. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, my worst of the best. This is a hot take, an actual hot take. The first time reading through Kelsier's death scene, it like blew me away. The second time reading through Kelsier's death scene it was kind of underwhelming. Like, I feel like they just like started fighting and then he died. Like, I don't well, know. I feel like it that did, was the point. Was, of like, Yeah. Saying, that was not the point. Yeah. It just seems so much more. I, I just remembered it being so much more epic. Like, well, the, the epic part was with the inquisitor, like him flying yeah, through the air and like taking on this, like, yeah, you know. just totally wrecking the inquisitor and decapitating him. That was awesome. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it had been 10 years since I'd read it, but 
it just kind of, yeah, I get that Kelsier was never stood a chance against the Lord Ruler, and that's what it. Just in my head, it was more cinematic than it ended up being in the book. So again, I get that's that's a hot take. Like him fighting the Inquisitor was like one of the best scenes, but then immediately just laying on the ground and getting a spear like stabbed through him was pretty pretty rough. Just the the backhanded slap was what gets me every yeah, time. Yeah, just tore away like, like half his face. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. It's like a, it's still. It still does a good job of giving you that like impending sense of doom and then the, you know, like the no type of feeling as you read through it. It does. It does. Yeah, it does. It it does a good job, but it it used to be like one. I don't know. It's just one of those things I think I remember, like my memory of it was way bigger Mm -hmm. than the actual scene itself, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Um it's unfortunate that he couldn't come up with a way to make it more obvious that Kelsier was trying to use the 11th medal and it like did something, but it wasn't effective type of thing. Cause you don't see anything. Kelsier just kind of yeah. like stands there. Like even just see like a, his face drooped in disappointment or something like that, you know? Yeah. Or, or he like says something, he's like, Oh no, it couldn't be like, I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. yeah or like, who are you even, you know, like, what is this? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like realizing, yeah, something like that. You're right. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, we talked about this already, but just my worst of the best is still the the crew because you know the crew is fun and it's a heist. But I never really could separate the side characters super well. They all just kind of have like one or two things that makes them stand out. And and I think the reason why I was thinking about why this was, I think the reason why is they don't really have anything that I mean this is entirely true, but for the most part. They just kind of exist to further the Vin and Kelsier plot along. Like they don't have a ton that they're doing on their own. So they don't seem like autonomous characters. They just kind of seem like pieces in the in the board. And that made for a little bit of an unsatisfying reading experience with the side characters for me. I so, do they do get a lot better in the second too, if I remember right. I'm but they okay. do. Uh speaking about Josh's like red con or like changing canon, Sanderson has said that he'll like if there's ever a movie made, um, that he'll make Demoy. Is it Demoy? Demo. Demoy. Demoy. Like he'll make him a girl. Is is that no no? I thought it, I didn't think it was him. I thought, I thought it was yeah. like thought it was Ham or Breeze or yeah. Uh, one of the crew members. Okay, I was looking at Seven and Sorry, and they listed him as being the one. But maybe it's maybe it's something. There. I, anyway, I know that he talked about like the fact that like he really wanted to like be progressive in the way that he like displayed strong female empowerment but like and mm-hmm. so he made vin and then he like made everybody else male and so that's one thing that he like regretted doing uh-huh and so it is nice that he is able to like look at himself and make that change for when it does hopefully eventually be made into like like cinematic yeah yeah so yeah. okay last thing do you guys think it'd be better as a video game or tv show slash movie I don't play video games, so <laughs> I wouldn't. But, ju- I wouldn't play but just imagine, you know, like there's all these cool magic powers we've, that you can we've do. We played as Kelsier in Fortnite. So again, uh, yeah, I'm not big into video games. It would be a cool video game. It would be like a sweet Spider-Man game, you know. I know. Yeah, the, the thing Spider-Man is, there games. like Spider-Man. You also have like the Star Wars games. I could feel like could accomplish similar feels. Like I feel like the thing that makes Mistborn so awesome is the narrative around it. Like it does mm. have cool magic, but. And I know video games can do cool stuff with narrative. Yeah, video but... games have stories nowadays, Ben. It's not. I just... know. Okay, I corrected myself, but still. Uh-huh. 
Ben just mashes mashes the next button whenever yeah. he gets to the end game book or whatever. <laughs> right. Cutscene boring skip. <laughs> what if you just get to the end of the game and there's no way to, for you to defeat the Lord Ruler? You just die as Kelsier every just, time. Every time you just die. That would be uh, depressing. From what I've heard about Elden Ring, it sounds like that's the end of Elden Ring. Okay. Yeah. I I, I think to answer your question, Stephen, I think. I, if there is anything that could be movies made into a movie over a TV show, it's Mistborn. I think or that they could video all... game over a TV show. No, I, I'm saying TV show over oh. movie or movie over TV show. I think almost everything else you would have to go, you know, TV show just to get the runtime that you would need. Mm-hmm. But I think that each Mistborn book could work well as a movie. Like you could yeah. put everything in. It. Yeah, like I, I said, could... half of this yeah. book could have been a montage. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Okay, that's our uh, that's our rapid fire coverage of Mistborn, and uh, keep on watching our channel for more coverage through the rest of the Mistborn era one and era two up until um, the Lost Metal. One of our goals this year is to get an arc for the Lost Metal, so uh, we'll see if that happens. So, if you are watching Dragon Steel, hook us up. <laughs> Please, somebody be watching. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. See you later. Okay, see you. Bye.